Welcome to our new show with Revive MS Support. Over this series, we'll meet some of the people involved with Revive, the leading provider of support for people in the west of Scotland who are affected by multiple sclerosis. Revive's purpose-built centre is located in Govan, Glasgow. In this episode, we'll be discussing going out, and guests will share their experiences and advice for managing an active social life. First, we'll speak with Julie Dock, MS specialist nurse, and Jackie Ritchie, speech and language therapist. They'll share tips to manage MS while getting out and about. We are following up on advice on entertainment and going out, and uh, we have Julie and Jackie joining us again. Ladies, in case somebody has missed uh, your already lovely inputs to this podcast, could you please introduce yourself again for us? Uh, I'm Julie Dog, MA Specialist Nurse at Revive. And I'm Jackie Ritchie, one of the speech and language therapists at Revive. It's lovely to have you guys back in. It's a real pleasure speaking to you guys. Um, And... Today we're going to be speaking a little bit more on, like I said, advice for folks with MS who are wanting to stay active um, with entertainment and going out, being involved and getting roundabout to the community. Um, So thinking about going out and entertainment, what are some of the key areas where people may find issues? So it's kind of looking at their symptoms and how the symptoms can impact where they're going. So it could be that it's mobility issues and they're somewhere with lots of stairs. Um, it could be parking, how how they're going to get to the facility that they're going to. If they've got any visual impairment, especially if you're going into a theatre and it's dark. I mean, I've even done it and I don't have visual impairment impairment as such and it can be quite daunting if you're going into a dark area Um, so it's kind of looking about how you access a venue and how you move about that venue in a safe way that you feel confident enough is a kind of what people would be looking at whenever they're they're going out out to for entertainment or out with friends or whatever. Jackie what um, might you add to sort of um, thoughts about where some of the key areas where people might find issues when they're out and about? So um, fatigue is as we know one of the the biggest symptoms with MS and that can be often the biggest um, barrier to people actually um, continuing to socialise and um, maintain you know friendships um, and relationships that are important to them. Um, so much socialising and going out is in the evening when often people's energy levels are, are at their lowest. Yeah. Um, and so often, you know, they will just say, I can't go. Um, it's, you know, and, and pull out um, of arrangements that are made with, with groups of, of people. Uh, so that can be, be really tricky and can have a huge impact on people's um, well-being. Um, also, memory issues are, are the other thing. If you're socialising in a group of people, um, cognitive issues um, can come to the fore. Um, concentration can be really difficult if you're in a noisy bar or restaurant or in your, if you're in a company with a lot of people, perhaps that you've maybe not seen for a while. There's lots of multi-channeled information and noise that you're trying to process mm-hmm. uh, and that can be really difficult. And again, people can feel, well, I'm not really contributing to this and it's making me feel really stressed, anxious, sometimes lonely. You can feel lonely in a crowd. Yeah. And yeah, therefore, uh, 
people just often withdraw and find over time that the friendships can kind of dwindle and um, it's it's trying to give people support to, to get back out there again. What advice then would you give to someone who is planning to go out but has concerns? Well, they can actually contact the venue that they're attending, whether it's a cinema or concert hall or an art venue they can contact the venue in advance and they can ask them what are their accessible accessibility um to that that premises to see if it's suitable for them to to be able to get to they can go online uh, there's something called Ewan's guide that they can access and Ewan's guide can give them some information on different venues that's on the Ewan's guide um about how how you get about so it could be things like you know, what's the access like to into the, the centre or where's is there toilets there for usage? Um, is there disability toilets? Um, it, can, it, it gives even right down to things like lighting. It can give you information. Ah, so okay. it can really help you with various different disabilities, not just MS, but all disabilities. So I think just to, to call in advance and to ask some specific questions just so that you can prepare. So that means you can know you can go and, go and enjoy your night or your day or wherever you, mm-hmm. you're going. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to add, Jackie? Um, yeah, I just... Um, planning is, is, is really key and... I think, um, as we, we said, with fatigue is often um, the biggest barrier. And if you can uh, plan well in advance, you know, not just the ne- the day before, but even the week before, um, and look at your, your diary uh, and see what you've got on and see if you can maybe reduce some of your activities in advance of a big night out um, and get yourself really organised. Even some of the simple things like what we're going to wear uh, and get it you know, sorted and dealt with so that's not something you have to deal with on the day mm-hmm. uh, so planning is really uh, key um, to everything also just looking at the time of day uh, as I said earlier often um, evenings are not the best time and it's looking as to whether maybe another time of day would be better uh, maybe a lunchtime or an afternoon maybe thinking as well about you know do I have to go out for or five hours that I normally would perhaps even just a couple of hours would I can get the the benefit from that uh, and also where you go I think Julie mentioned that you know thinking about the environment that you're going into and is there a quiet spot in that place where you're going to be comfortable where you're maybe a little bit more uh, secluded um, and that would maybe help your concentration um, with your with your friends that you're that you're with, um, as we said before, being overloaded uh, with sound and noise and chatter can be really really tricky. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on that? I think you know when you're living with a chronic condition, you know it can, it's diff- it can be difficult. You know, living with something like MS, and people can tend to lose themselves a little bit and. They feel as if they're just a person living with MS. It's important to remind yourself of who you are because there is a person there. You're not a person with MS, you know. Uh, You're Jackie, you're Julie, you know. Um, So I think to have relationships with your partner, 
um, with your friends, with your family and taking that time to enjoy the time spending with them because it's good for your mental health and well-being. And I'm a great promoter on date night, so I speak to a lot of couples who come in, and especially if one's caring for the other. Yeah. And I'll say, right, okay, well, you're in that caring role on a day-to-day basis. When are you actually husband and wife or or husband and husband or, you know, whatever the dynamic of that relationship is? When do you get to spend time together as that couple that you were when you first met? And a lot of them will say, well, we don't says well organize date night yeah and it doesn't have to be anything strenuous you don't have to go out you can do it in the house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it could be just a movie and a bottle of wine or sit and listen to music and taking time to chat and be with each other yeah i think is really important and you can do that with friends and family too just you know come into their company and say you know i don't want to talk about ms it's not about ms it's not about me let's just be the way we've always been Mm -hmm. and just take yourself back to where you were before you had MS and try and just have that bit of escapism and just connect with the people that you're that are in your life I think is really important no I think that's an an excellent bit of advice there one that that perhaps especially if if like you were saying there is a dynamic of a couple where one's a carer um things like date night you know must feel I, I can imagine like an effort on top of all the effort that's going into just having a day um but you know sort of thank you for for reminding folks that that this is a very valuable and important part of someone's life as well one that's not gone necessarily but one that just needs a little extra sort of attention and care um because it is important to a lot of people's well-being and family life home life um and that, that that is a part of having a, a full and um, sort of meaningful life, you know, to, to be able that, you know, you were saying it's not just Julie, it's not just or Julie with MS or Jackie with it's Julie and Jackie. And yeah, and that these are parts of, of someone's being as well. Yeah. So thank you for reminding folks that yeah, that's we, important. We've all I mean, we're, we're either a wife or a, a mother or mm-hmm. a father or mm-hmm. a brother or a daughter mm-hmm. we've all got some kind of connection with other people yeah. and it's taking yourself back to that connection mm-hmm. rather than ms being the focus yeah. um every day is there anything that you guys would like to add i'd just like to say um really on, on the back of it, you know being part of a family or a community with your friends that that really it's all about talking to them and and having a dialogue about about your symptoms and about how um your relationship can continue but maybe just with some tweaks around mm-hmm. how you have your good times together um and it's just about opening up that that good communication Well, thank you so much for joining us um, and uh, giving some folks some good tips and tricks about sort of remaining active socially and and staying involved uh, in the community and and with their friends and family. So thank you very much for for coming down and speaking today. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Tony G Radio. Your station, your community. Now, we chat with Antonia Lee Bapti, CEO of UN's Guide, a disabled access review guide about how the resource can help people with MS plan their trips out. A very, very warm welcome to the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself for everyone, please? Hi there. 
I'm Antonia Liebapti, and I'm CEO at Ewan's Guide, the Disabled Access Charity. Can you break down for us, please? What is Ewan's Guide? Yeah, absolutely. So we are the award-winning disabled access charity. We're best known for our disabled access review website, which is probably where you might have heard of us. Mm -hmm. That's ewansguide.com. And it's sometimes described as a bit like a trip advisor, but concentrating on disabled access. Mm -hmm. So we're also known for making tens of thousands of accessible loose safer and running the UK's largest access survey. And I think the first thing that um, I should mention here, probably the most important, is that there is a real Ewan. And he apologizes for not being here himself today, but has asked me to talk about Ewan's guide on his behalf. Oh, that's brilliant. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing a little bit more about what the guide can, the information the guide can provide for people. But also, I actually didn't know that Ewan was a real person. I love that this is connected to someone um, sort of in this world and, and with, with experiences and, and uh, you know, sort of with the idea of, of he's being an, almost an ambassador in a way. Is there any, anything else that you might want to share about Ewan himself and his experiences and, and kind of how we got to a guide being called Ewan's Guide? Well, listen, absolutely. So he's based in Edinburgh. And he became a wheelchair user and then a power chair user after his diagnosis with motor neuron disease. And that diagnosis was actually 20 years ago um, this autumn. So he and his sister um, still wanted to go out places, still wanted to do stuff. He's a very active guy and likes to go to gigs, likes to go to the football, likes to go to the rugby. And then suddenly found that he needed loads more information and um, it could often be a bit daunting visiting new places. So he thought that he would like to share his experiences and learn from other people. And there's two um, great examples. So one summer, do you remember tea in the park? I remember it. I, I know it was a thing. I'm, I'm not a festival kind of person, but, okay. but yes, I know. So he went to tea in the park one year and was really nervous about going, but ended up having a brilliant time. There was tracking um, between the stages. There was a little kind of, I suppose, almost a modified golf cart to take you between the viewing areas. There were um, accessible portaloos. So I had a great time. And then later that month, he went to a venue in Glasgow that shall remain nameless. Mm -hmm. But he had bought tickets for the accessible seating area. But when he got there, um, they offered to carry him and his power chair upstairs. And he obviously said, no, thanks. So both of those examples, he really wished that he'd known about before he um, you know, had made the trip. Yeah. So I suppose that was really why Ewan's Guide came about. And it's really designed as a positive place to share places that have good disabled access, things that you can do, places you can visit. Amazing. Um, I love that that he was inspired by some of his own journeys um, and uh, adventures, I suppose, in, in a lot of ways to these places that he was, you know, sort of up for and inspired to share them with other people, um, you know, so that sort of now, you know, this time down the line, everyone is getting the benefit. Um, what can people do to get involved in Ewan's Guide? So the main way is through the website. So that's youandsguide.com. And that's used by tens of thousands of people each and every month to find and share disabled access information. And we really cannot overestimate the importance of peer-to-peer -peer information. 
Mm. So we regularly get told by our community that um, that they've visited new places on the basis of just one review. So if you're listening and you know of a place with brilliant disabled access, please tell other disabled people about it. Wow. That's that's powerful stuff, you know, that one review can can have that much impact, um, you know, that there is some some insight, you know, to a particular space um, and the way that one interacts with it that that can really ch change people's perceptive like perception of of going there and, and turn it from a, a, a no, I'm not sure into a yeah, let's give it a shot. Um, I can only imagine the excitement that that brings with it and the sort of sense of community that gets fostered by being able to feel um, feel able to go somewhere um, and and have this, uh, you know, a sort of a, a comparable experience to, to folks who maybe don't need to make these considerations in advance. Um, so that sounds like a really lovely community that's that's built up around it and one that really does interact well and, and get quite a lot out of, of sharing these with, with everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting you were talking about insight there as well, because we also run the UK's largest and longest running access survey. So some of the oh, findings, a bit about really, that. But they, they really back this up. So last year, we had over seven and a half thousand respondents and I won't I won't go through all the stats, but I suppose some of some of the key ones. So 91 percent of respondents told us they tried to find disabled access information before they would visit someone new. And 58 percent, which is huge, which is nearly 60 percent of respondents told us that they would actively avoid going to a venue if they can't find any disabled access information about it because they assume it's inaccessible. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're a venue and you're listening, that's nearly 60% of people that won't come to you unless you're talking about your disabled access info. I suppose on the flip side of that, um, we had 51% of respondents that told us that reviews from other disabled people improve their confidence when visit, visiting new places. And then my favorite stat, 46% told us that they've actually visited somewhere new after reading a review on Ewan's Guide. So it just shows you the power of people sharing information and just giving um, people confidence to visit some new places. Wow, so even one review of a previously unreviewed venue then increased, what did you say, by 50%, give or take, what is it, 48, yeah. 50% basically, somebody was more likely to go visit that venue. That is powerful, that is impact right there. Um, oh, yeah. One of my colleagues actually went to Amsterdam based on there were um, there's a couple of reviewers that had gone to Amsterdam and had reviewed um, they'd gone by train. So reviewed the station, reviewed the ferries, reviewed a couple of hotels, reviewed some of the attractions. Um, one of my colleagues actually went to Amsterdam, and pretty much retraced their route based on the information that they'd um, they'd submitted. Wow. And so I don't, I'm not really sure I. I it sunk in, in that this was actually reviews of in, it, not just stuff in Scotland, but just all around anywhere that anybody has an experience can then be added to this guide. Holy Absolutely. Boy. It's a, um, it's a kind of, I suppose, a common misconception really 
But most, by far, most of our content is in the UK and probably half half England, Scotland. But as re um, reviewers do go on holiday, they are they do share their experiences of places they've been. And I suppose the other thing is that people will think it's only the fun stuff like hotels, bars, restaurants. But you can review anywhere. You can review train stations. You can review supermarkets, particularly during um, deepest, darkest lockdown. People were often reviewing public parks, pretty much anywhere where you can stick a pin in the map. Wow. That's amazing. Um, Antonia, what advice would you give to people who are thinking about going out but may have concerns around accessibility? I'm going to be biased here. <laughs> But I suppose the first thing I would do is is to check out ewansguide.com. Of course. People do tend to use it in two main ways. So people use it as a planning tool. So you can use it at home or at work to plan a trip or visit before you travel. But more and more, we're finding that our community are using it on mobile devices, on smartphones. So, And we know that's because people want to find out places when, when they're out and about, want to be spontaneous. You know, it's, I suppose, again, it's, it's where, where can you go for a coffee? But also, if you need to change your travel plans, if you need to make a loose stop, then, you know, you can use Ewan's Guide to find places when you're out and about. I suppose the other thing is to think of it as, as a journey. So we find the, um, the four main things our community wants to know about are parking and transport. So that's maybe the place to start. Look at places that have either good public transport links or that you know where um, the blue badge parking is. We find that our community want to know about access in general. So kind of how you get in, how you get around, how you do the thing that you're visiting the venue for, or the business for. Toilets is such a huge topic. So knowing where the nearest loo is, either at the venue, if you know it's got an accessible loo, or knowing where the nearest one is, and also if it has a changing places toilet. So we know that's um, a really important thing for our community. And then the last thing really is staff. We know that some places can be amazingly accessible, but if the staff don't know, for example, how to use the lift or where the accessible loo is, or how to use the hearing loop, then um, things can break down there. But um, but yeah, helpful staff can really make or break a visit. I'm I've been really sort of excited by some of the things that you know that you've been able to um, accomplish through this guide. What what feels like sort of a very simple idea seems to have grown grown its legs and and. Um, sort of brought a lot of people together to share experiences and and information in a way that, I mean, I can only help but feel helps everybody, um, you know. So, um, I'm, this is a great resource um, that I hope if somebody listening didn't know about beforehand, you know, sort of feels um, able to go have a look at now, um, and that you know maybe it leads to them feeling a bit more confident going out for an adventure or a night out um, or trying something new that previously felt a little bit off um, you know, off the table. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with with everybody? Um, I, the one thing I would like to say at the moment is we have our access survey open. So the 2023 access survey is now live and we are asking for people to share their thoughts on disabled access information, on disabled access across the UK. 
Um, it will take about 15 minutes. I will warn you there are quite a few questions, but the information that we get is so, so valuable and we can really use it to hopefully make disabled access and disabled access information better across the UK. And do you get a link to that from UN's, the UN's Guide website? Absolutely. Good question. It's www.uansguide.com slash access survey. Right. And everybody, and that's Ewan with a U. U-A-N. Yeah. There you go. Right. Um, and I, I suppose just a wee question, is this um, survey around physical access survey or does it also apply to, say, website accessibility? I'm just curious for, for folks who might be asking the same question. So it's mainly around physical accessibility. Um, the one, the, the sections that we that we added last year was around the cost of living. So we found that that particularly has got picked up by media. So, you know, if you do have some strong stories to tell them, we, we would love to help. Well, if you get a chance, uh, anybody who's listening to, to go over and, and fill one of those out, I know it would be really appreciated. Antonia, thank you so much for sharing what Ewan's Guide is, how it came about, and, and hopefully how it can help people. Um, so thank you very much for taking some time. Oh, thanks very much for inviting us on today. And listen, please do send us in your experiences. We love it when reviews come in. Tony G Radio. Your station, your creation. Next, we hear from Nicholas Scott. Community Engagement Officer at the Glasgow Film Theatre about its access and inclusive program of events. A very warm welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself for everyone? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, my name is Nicola Scott and I am the Community Engagement Coordinator at the Glasgow Film Theatre, also known as the GFT. And what sort of things does that role entail? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough to um, help facilitate the accessible programs that we run. So we've got three of those in our core program and they are our dementia friendly screening. So that's Movie Memories and also Access Film Club, which is tailored um, to be um, neurodivergent friendly, autism friendly and learning disabled friendly. And we also have Visible Cinema and Visible Cinema is for our deaf, deaf and hard of hearing customers. Wow, an, an excellent range of, of um, activities there, it sounds like, for a lot of people. Um, I, I mean, you touched on them a, a slight bit there when you were uh, walking us through them, but what kind of accessibility provisions are in place at GFT? Um, well, like I said, we have the programs, which is really great. But also um, in terms of the building, the building is actually from the 1930s. So it's a very old building. It was built like 80 years ago now. And um, so this is obviously um, quite an issue sometimes, but we're lucky enough that um, the building has come under some refurbishment over the years. So we're actually fully um, wheelchair accessible. So if people have mobility issues, we have lifts in place. We also have um, two wheelchair spaces per cinema screen. So we have three cinema screens. Two are on the bottom floor, so there's no stairs, no lifts needed. But then um, we've got our main cinema one and we've got some wheelchair spaces there and that's completely accessible via the lifts. I, that's fantastic. I know that the GFT is a beautiful building. Um, and I suppose one of the potential downsides to these sort of more historic buildings is 
building codes were different um, when they were put up. And so providing these sort of um, physical adjustments to the, to the architecture to enable more people to, to access, um, you know, the events and, and uh, screenings that you've got there is, is fantastic. Um, so um, I hope that folks listening will hear that if they didn't know that already and, and already be encouraged to come along. Yeah, yeah, we're really lucky. Like you were saying, like it's a gorgeous building. It's an Art Deco building. Mm-hmm. We've got this fabulous foyer and everything. So we really want to welcome everyone. The, the whole ethos of um, the Glasgow Film Theatre is cinema for all. And we really do stand by that. Obviously, the best kind of access is when you don't have to ask for it at all. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. So because we only have two wheelchair spaces per cinema, we do ask for people to pre-book so that they can do that via um, the access email which is access at glasgowfilm.org or they can call up the cinema and um, they can talk to the duty manager and that that will be sorted out for them basically so it's it's really good that like people can come and use the bar they can get the lift to the bar on the on the first floor but if they want to come to the cinema they do still have to book in advance for them and for their companion seat if they have a companion with them and this is probably a good time to say that we also accept the C. AE card. So um, for your listeners who don't know what a CAE card is, it is um, a card that lets a person who's disabled come to the cinema with a companion. So um, that's supposed to make it easier for them to come and, you know, more enjoyable as well. I like going to the cinema with people. So um, that's just another thing you just phone up and let us know if you need a certain seat booked and we'll get that sorted for you. Does someone need one of these cards in order to bring a companion? Yes. So a CAE card costs £6 a year. And if you Google CAE card, the website comes up and I think you just pay online and then you get sent your card. And then what that allows you to do is with your cinema ticket that you book, you get a free ticket for your companion. So um, that's a great um, thing for people, really. Okay, well, that that's a top tip right there. If uh, someone doesn't have one, then might be worth looking into that so that it's a little more seamless, you know, one one less thing that needs to be arranged um, or thought about, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, when when somebody's looking to, to visit GFT or any other venue where they might um, feel more comfortable having a companion with them. Um, Nicola, what can people expect from cinemas and arts venues in a more general sense when it comes to accessibility? Um, well, I think people are being much more, um, they're leading with accessibility. So basically it isn't an afterthought for, for the arts sector, especially the arts um, sector. They're actually, um, I think they're making leaps and bounds compared to other places. And sometimes it is because if you're an independent organisation, you've got like a smaller Um, you know core staff which means that you can talk and communicate more and really it takes less time to get these things um, sorted than it might do in a bigger institution Um, so I think um, the arts sector prides themselves on their accessibility Uh, so there's places like the CCA they've got their access page we've got our access page we have just um, redeveloped the website so it is still under construction but we're we're getting all that information out and um, it's really easy to find the access on the website it's at the top just next to the screenings really and it just isn't a drop down so all the information's there we also have like a a walkthrough guide so a lot of organizations have those now Um, And we also have one specifically made for our Access Film Club um, customers and audience members. So if you want to 
if you're worried about feeling anxious or you want to be prepared to come to the cinema and you know if you're coming to access film club the walkthrough guide tells you what cinema screen it's in how you get there where the toilets are where the members of staff are another thing we like pride ourselves at the gft because we're like a smaller cinema we like to give people that personal experience mm. and also feel like they, they, they can talk to us that we're there to talk to you so basically there's always a member of staff in the foyer so if you need signposted to anything if you need to know where the toilets are where the lifts are um what time your film's starting anything like that we're happy to provide you with that information um face to face I mean, I'm loving the sound of this walkthrough guide. Um, I I don't have any access issues, but um, I, I even feel a little anxious sometimes when I go to somewhere new. You know, um, am, I, am I going to the right area in the building? Um, you know, all these sorts of things. And, and I can... I can appreciate that um, somebody who is coming to any venue that has uh, sort of concerns about access, um, that, that this will be an absolute um, joy, I, I would hope, um, to be able to get a sense of these sort of things ahead of time. And then hopefully that will take away someone's enough of someone's anxiety, perhaps, that that then allows them, makes them feel able to come out. And, and join in um so i mean i didn't even know that these things are that that is a thing so to hear you say that that's something that gft um offers folks even ahead of time pre-booking um i mean it sounds fantastic yeah like like you were saying like um obviously access isn't a one-size-fits-all like people oh. have different needs mm -hmm. and we're trying to like um at least cater to some of those but um, the great thing about a lot of accessible things is that they make it easier for everyone, not yeah. just a specific group. So like um, we have a lot of different films. We show like I think once the marketing manager said that they were programming like 60 films for a month, but maybe that was a, a busy month. But there's just tons of films. And the, the thing about... Um, the films that we get, some of them are independent and some of them are quite small and some of them are more mainstream. And unfortunately, it's not industry standard at the moment to um, provide audio description and um, captioning for all films. And, and captioning is different from subtitles because captioning also describes the music uh -huh. um, and the sounds that are happening as well as the dialogue. Um, but the thing is, when we do have those films with captioning, we make sure that 30% of the films that we're screening, say of that title, 30% of the screenings are going to be captioned. So it's not about trying to catch that one screening once a week. We try to make sure that there's more, which gives much more flexibility to someone who wants to like have the captions because they might be hard of hearing or they yeah. just find it easier to follow or they're, you know, or they're deaf. So it's it's really useful to have that. And and the thing about visible cinema, because we do have the caption screenings, but visible cinema is a little bit different because we have an introduction and we have like an outro and sometimes a discussion at the end. And um this is um this has got BSL interpretation. So we have a BSL interpreter wow. for, for those portions, and we also have live captioning. So that accompanies the introductions and the discussion at the end. So that's why that's a little bit different from just our, our um, standard uh, caption screenings. Uh, fant fantastic. Um, I I'm absolutely loving that 
that um, it's it's not just the movie or or providing a, a, a wheelchair accessible seat um, for for uh, someone coming, but it's it's all these lovely bits that in just enhance that experience. Um, you know, and I I could imagine that during these sort of discussion times, if that that's a, an opportunity for folks to perhaps fill in the gaps a wee bit where where maybe um, the experience hasn't provided an you know, a, a very round picture of, of what's going on. But, you know, these these sort of opportunities and the intro and the outro and with the BSL, you know, um, added in. I mean, it sounds like a very rich, you know, sort of as holistic as possible experience. One that I, I never thought would maybe go hand in hand with a cinema visit. This is incredible. Yeah, it's really great. It's, Visible Cinema has been running for quite a long time now. I think it was 2014 when it started. So it's probably one of our longest access um, screenings. Um, I would really like to work on developing the programme more just because we have the caption screenings. So I think we've lost some of our audience because they've got more flexibility, but we would really like to build more of a community around Visible Cinema. Mm. Um, we've got a really great collaboration at the moment with um, the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Okay. So, so they have a BA in BSL and English performance. So they have hearing, deaf um, um, students even. So the students who are working on that, the performers who are working on that course, curate um every three months at visible cinema so that's a quarterly thing and they pick some films and they host the discussions and they're in their second year now so we're really looking forward to having them hosting because it will be the first time they're doing that in this cohort and it's really lovely to get their perspectives on things and it's a really wonderful relationship and definitely does build the sense of community that we have with that with that program and these sorts of links, you know, for example, the one you were just speaking about um, between uh, GFT and the, and the Royal Conservatoire, I feel like these are opportunities for one arts organization to see what another group is doing and perhaps, you know, take take some cues from that, improve their own services. And then I, I would I would hope that this is a wee bit of a, a cascading situation where, you know, one one group does this and then another group sees that and incorporates this and then a third sees something and is inspired by another element. And that, you know, it's um it's a little bit leading by example, um, but also being able to share um, the progress and the and the benchmarks and the successes and the challenges that you know everybody has experienced along the way. It feels very much um, working smarter and not harder and collectively um, to help improve all all or as many areas as possible. I think you're right. I'm collaboration and community are key to what we do there's no point working in isolation because then you're not ever improving on anything so it's yeah. really good to work with neighboring organizations like the rcs and we also have a very good relationship with um some of the community um just the communities around that we have the community center across the road and there's a lot of charities based there and we work closely with them um, and there's common ground at the cca so they're a refugee and asylum seeking um community space and um, we've actually launched a new access program, which is off the back of some, um, we, we did a project, we did a community project where we basically talked talk to lots of different marginalized groups and asked them what kind of things that they wanted. And um, this actually applies to Access Film Club as well, who we collaborate with um, the National Autistic Society of Scotland. 
with. So they helped us establish that. And we have a really good working relationship with them. And when they did their research, they found out like two thirds of autistic people um, feel socially isolated. So that's why um, it's really great that we have Access Film Club. And like I said, it's an autism friendly screening, but it does mean that anyone can come. We want everyone to be like welcome. Um, so we understand that like cinemas are great kind of socializing and talking point and it really does bring people together so apart from access film club um we're also running another film club called glasgow film club and Ooh. the great thing about that it's removes the barrier of cost because of that we've got a lovely sliding scale screening and that's a monthly thing now like the other access programs so glasgow film club follows our sliding scale screening and it's usually a new release and after that and it's on a Wednesday night. And after that, we um, go to the CCA, we go to Common Ground, that space there. And we talk about the film and we have refreshments and it's just anyone's welcome. You don't have to book. Um, you just have to meet me in the foyer after the film and we go down, we talk about the film. And that's been a really wonderful project to work on. And and it's only been running for four months, but um, we've got like some core people who come all the time. And then we have people who come and go and it's just a really lovely, relaxed atmosphere and a really nice addition to the GFT. Oh, well, um, best of luck uh, sort of getting that um, sort of a bit further forward, but it sounds like there's already a little bit of uh, good engagement there. Um, and brilliant that, you know, obviously there's physical challenges for a lot of folks even entering the space. Um, but, you know, financial barrier is, is one as well. So it's lovely to hear that that's included in, in sort of access discussions. Another one of our um, screenings that we have is a regular Saturday screening at 11.30 and that is our take two screenings and they're for families. So basically if a child comes they get in for free and then the accompanying adult also gets in for free with them and that's a really great you know Saturday morning activity to do and it's cheap obviously because it's free I know there's other costs but it's a, a lovely thing and they're very popular and once a month we have take two access which is the same as take two apart from we um, kind of apply some of the things that we apply to access film club so the sound is a little bit lower so people and there's no advert so you're not overstimulated as well so we do that. And while we have the lights down at Access, Access Film Club, we keep the lights up for the children so they can run about if they need to. Right. Sounds like a lovely merry riot on a Saturday morning. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Nicola, what advice would you give to, to someone who's thinking about going out but may have concerns around accessibility? I think the best bet is to check out the website. Like, There's a lot of information online. So wherever you're going, that's a really good way to go forward. Also, like I think um, Google Maps is really handy, like the street view for like planning your visit to places. But we do have all our access information online. We also like have information about our audio headsets. So we have... Um, yeah, we have um, an enhanced audio and we also have audio described um, headsets available. So all of that information is up there for you. Also, I should probably say that we also have um, concessions um, for people over 60 students and also for people, um, disabled people as well. Um, un unfortunately, well, it's not unfortunate because we do need to raise prices. We've kept the prices at the GFT at the same price for four years they haven't gone up but we are putting them up but we're still actually one of the most affordable cinemas in Glasgow and also we have um, amazing access things like the sliding scale screenings 
Um, we also have a 15 to 25 card, which is for young people. And that means that they can go to the cinema for free. We have one free screening a month for them and they get the cheapest tickets that we do at the moment, which is six pounds. Um, but yeah, we really want everyone to just come and enjoy the cinema and all the different films that we have as an independent cinema. And um, we also have like foreign films and films from Scotland. And another great thing about the cinema is we also do like lots of events. So we have directors come, we have Q&As. What we're trying to work on is um, basically ensuring that these are more accessible. So we're trying to have more live captioned Q&As. And sometimes we have BSL for the Q&As. Um, I'm working on the Black History Month program this year. And all the films will have captions. Um, two of them have AD as well. And um, we will also have live captioned um, discussions for those as well. So. Yep. That sounds like a fantastic uh, month of events. I'm, uh, I suppose I'm, I'm waiting to see what that's going to look like and see what bits I can get in about. Um, but um, Nicola, is there anything else that you wanted to let people know about? Well, I should probably just say, like, when I say the website, it's glasgowfilm.org. So that's where you can find us. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to walk us through the sort of access um, facilities at GFT and, and tell us a wee bit more about some of the content. Um, I hope that everybody feels a bit encouraged to get down there, everybody. Um, and, you know, hopefully that there is something on offer at GFT that makes folks feel able and excited to come down and participate. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to talk about it with you. Thank you. Tony G Radio. Your station, your And finally, we speak with Brian and Sheila, clients at Revive, about their experiences managing MS and their social lives, as well as sharing some advice for others. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. Could you please introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Sheila Reddux. I'm retired now, uh, previously an insurance broker, and I got diagnosed with MS relapse and remittance at that point uh, over 30 years ago. But I have heard some horrendous stories of some of my colleagues at Revive who have taken nine years or something to be diagnosed. I had a very lucky GP who actually realised that when I said I had a trapped nerve, it wasn't attached to the same fingers. The two fingers were not attached to the same nerve. And as a result, he actually told me afterwards he had a good idea that that's what it was. I see, and I see. just latterly, um, it's been... It's gone from relapse and remittance to secondary progressive, which I think happens to quite a few people. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sheila. And would you introduce yourself for us, please? Hi there. Uh, my name's Brian. Um, I've been diagnosed with MS since 2017. Um, I was doing an innocuous thing. I'm a big kid at times. Um, I was chasing a friend around the car. I see. I fell down and I struggled to get back up. Okay. Um, from that, they, I spoke to GPs and stuff and they diagnosed me with having MS. It, what, it's a relapse and remitting um, MS I've got, although the past two years my mobility has got worse and I've had to obtain a walking pole to help with my stability when I'm trying to walk. Mm -hmm. And also I've got a mobility scooter now, it's a folding one, so I go by taxi and I go, you know, I can take it on a lot of 
travels i'll talk about it more brilliant i look forward to it well sheila brian thank you so much for coming down and sharing some of your experiences with people um today we're going to delve a wee bit into um going out and about being social how to maintain a, a you know, this sort of lifestyle, regardless of what someone's health uh, concerns may be, and in, in this particular case, MS. Um, so I, I suppose I would like to start with what kinds of things are you guys doing when you're out and about socialising? I, well, one of my friends is a retired doctor, and she said most of the things I do are because I've got a positive mental attitude. Okay. And I think I probably have. I want to do things. So, I mean, yes, I go for meals. I go not often to the pub, but I would go if I, there was a reason. I'd mm. go to the theatre. I was at the Banksy exhibition just last, uh, on Monday there, and I'm going to the Mary Quant one next week. So I, I make a point of doing things. Um, and I was saying to Brian just before we were talking um was that i think the annoying thing is you can't do things spontaneously ah. the way you've got to plan them and okay. i think we'll get on to that aye, aye, aye. and what about you brian what do you get up to when you're out and about socializing so me i still have that can do attitude that um sheila was just talking about mm -hmm. i ignore the can't do or can he do as okay Scott, yeah Scott, yeah, yeah. I, I try and just think about what is it I'm feeling up for? And I go for it because I don't want to miss out. That's this is bottom line. I, I have recently had a wee bit of a setback and I was out for lunch with a friend and he was wanting to meet for drinks the following day. I can't I cannot do a following day kind right. of thing. But. Listen, I think these are lessons we could all learn something from um, you know, about sort of managing time and and energy uh, sometimes you know I'm probably a little more able-bodied than some and I still find that I get tired at times but I think that's a reflection of of the years that I'm gathering at the moment um but um I'm, I'm hoping that in speaking with you guys today that that we can share your experience with folks listening and and maybe if there's someone else out there who is struggling a wee bit with the motivation to get out you know uncertainty with what they can and can't do that this will help shed a wee bit of light on like you were saying brian what you can do um, rather than what you can't so, um, Sheila, what do you do to choose or make requests of places that you're visiting? Well, I, the first thing I do actually is look up Google Maps okay. and see if there's any parking. That's for places that I don't know. Okay. A lot of places that I go, I have been before mm -hmm. and therefore I do know what the situation or I know where I can get in. Yeah. Um, but for places that I don't know, I do go straight to Google Maps mm -hmm. or I phone... Um, if I go to something in the hydro, which isn't happening that much mm -hmm. um, nowadays, but I would, we would probably also uh, stay over. Uh, my partner's actually got Parkinson's, so we're, we're okay. like, okay. <laughs> hod it and dod it. <laughs> and um, so we would stay over and you just check that there's a lift, you know, if you can get a disab disability room or a disabled room mm -hmm. and these sort of things. So it's, Basically, just planning it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You actually do a lot, a bit more planning. But once you've done the planning, you can still do it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as Brian said. 
Aye. And what about you, Brian? What do you, what sort of things do you check out or what kind of things help you decide whether going somewhere is a good idea or not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my main things are make sure I'm well rested to try and go ahead with it. Without the rest, I can't do anything. Okay, okay. But the preparation part, as you were just talking about, Sheila, I'll go on a company's, a business's website. I'll see what accessibility they even have. If I need to, I'll phone them mm-hmm, and I'll, mm-hmm. let, I'll let them know. I'm, I generally do phone them just to let them know I'm coming to their premises. What do they offer? Um, Assistance-wise, I was recently at a restaurant that my friend had booked and they had accessibility inside, but there was nine steps to get inside. Oh, I was like, no. What can you do to help me? I, I need this. So she went, I'll let this when you arrive and I'll come out and I'll help you up the steps. And she just she put her arm out and that's all I needed and someone picked up. I've got a folding mobility scooter. Uh-huh. The other gentleman picked up the scooter and took okay. it in. And that was it. And they had disabled toilets. It was uh-huh. all one level. Okay. Um, do you guys find that when you do these preparations and you go, say, to the restaurant, you know, and you've been given the information, yep, we're all good, we're accessible, everything's fine, and then you get there and there are nine steps. Um, how often does that happen? Probably not as often as you would think okay. for the simple reason that I think we do do the planning and I do check that out. Uh-huh. Um but it can. The, the, the toilets are actually quite a common thing. Right. That, um, especially if you're abroad, the toilets can be downstairs yeah. or upstairs. Mm-hmm, Not so mm-hmm. much here because I think there's a lot of influence here that they've got to have a disabled toilet mm-hmm. um, so that's good but if you're abroad it's maybe not quite so good and that's something that you maybe can't plan for mm-hmm. as you're maybe going to places that you don't know Sure. and that can be a bit difficult but and if that's the case then I would just go out, I always check the toilets before I sit down nice. <laughs> anywhere. It's not your first time at the rodeo Sheila <laughs> no um, no, I, I, I suppose that's one thing that, uh, that that I was thinking about, you know, that you've you've done as much as you can from afar. You know, you've checked out a website, you've looked at Google Maps, you've even rang up sometimes, um, and you still might not get all of the info that you, you need to really make the best decision for yourself about whether you're going to go or no. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear, Sheila, that in your experience, that it's not as common as I was maybe worried um, so that's that's reassuring that it's not actually as common as as one might think. It can be a problem even just one step to get in the place because no one thinks about asking that. Yeah. Now, if it's just a small step, that's not a problem. But there are some big steps around sure. in Glasgow. Yes. I can assure you. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we're not looking to get buildings pulled down and raised again. Uh-huh. What we need, we're just looking for help. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The nine steps did sound a struggle, uh-huh. but once I got the support and the help, it wasn't as bad, and they mm. didn't have to rejig it. Like, they did tell me they didn't have a lift that they could help me with. I was like, I'm not asking you yeah. to spend all your money to get a lift. Mm-hmm. I'm just asking for assistance. Okay. Um, and that's kind of what I do with all... Busy. The last place I was at, you talk about restaurants again, I like mm-hmm. going out eating, as mm-hmm. you can tell. We were actually going to a, a local bar, it was actually the, I use Glasgow cabs a lot when I go about, mm-hmm. and it was through his influence, he says, look, you don't need to go through the steep steps at the front, 
one I'll drive you around to the side and it was just four steps in the back ah. and the Glasgow guy actually came out his cab and looked at it there's a couple of beer kegs about but I could manoeuvre about it okay and it was four steps again there you go one. knowledge of cabbies right there that's it oh brilliant but it's also I mean I've just come back a cruise and the people on the cruise were absolutely fantastic if they saw, if I was a bit wobbly one some days not because of, it was up the Norwegian fjord so there wasn't a wave in sight right right so um but you know just you have good days and you have bad days and mm-hmm. if you were like that um they saw it and they just came straight to you and asked you what you wanted and they would take it back to your seat for you Fantastic. so the, the the staff on that particular cruise but from I haven't done that many cruises but um I've talked to people in Revive and they've said that they've found staff on cruise ships and things very helpful brilliant well there we go cruises cruises for everyone yes um what advice would you guys give to other people who want to get out and about but are maybe feeling a bit wary brian what would you recommend so i would definitely pick up the phone although i come from a call center background I've right and made just yep. to speak to people mm-hmm. and pick up a phone obviously there's situations where people are not in the sort of able to pick up phones and stuff like that. Hopefully there'll be someone to maybe help or something, you know, to do that. Mm -hmm. But I would certainly speak to a business because as Sheila mentioned, a lot of businesses, they want to help us, you know. Just, I call it alert, but it's just letting them know Mm -hmm. I need assistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they to follow their procedures. Uh Uh-huh. So getting a a wee wing person maybe um, to to have out and about with you, you know, somebody who can give you the arm if you need it, a little bit of, of stability getting up some steps or do a wee recce round the back and find out if there's a, a an easier access point to the building. Also, company, you know, there's nothing wrong with company. Um, what about you, Sheila? What would you, what would you say to somebody who's maybe worried about going well, out and about? Again, it gets down to a bit of planning, but mm-hmm. as I say, I have found since I've started using a stick and then a crutch, I've found that pe- People are very, very kind. You know, people that you don't even expect to be kind (laughs) will help and help you on and off. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live very near a bus line that takes us me into a little restaurant that I like going to. And the bus driver always puts the thing down to let me get on. And I've I've only got to walk across the road to get the bus. Mm -hmm. So that... People just, in general, are kinder than a lot of us think they are. Oh, Sheila, you've warmed my heart by saying that. No, they are. Um, That's excellent. Well, I hope that, you know, in in both of you coming and and sharing some of your experiences in this particular, you know, sort of way, um, that there's somebody who's listening at the moment who feels a little bit encouraged now, um, feels a little bit bolder, um, has some ideas about how to approach something like this, given a given a venue or a restaurant a ring, checking out Google Maps. You can find out a lot about Google, you know, from something off Google Maps these days um, to, you know, even phoning up and bringing a pal maybe to help. Um, so these are all excellent top tips. Um, I really appreciate you guys sharing with everyone today. And also just, sorry, to mm-hmm. back you up. What you're of course. Saying, I'm quite lucky. My friend, he actually comes from the life in the care sector so mm-hmm. he's there always to pick me up and help me along and stuff ah. like that so i'm definitely of one of the lucky ones i do understand though that there are businesses that don't have the proper facilities 
all you can do is persevere with those businesses. Yeah. Um, there's a well-known ticket and website okay. so you can get the name mm-hmm. from it. And they wouldn't give me a disabled ticket, even though I was newly disabled. I'd bought it years ago, about five years ago, for a standing. I was like, I can't really uh, do standing anymore. Okay. And thankfully, it was through speaking to someone at the charity we go to, Revive. He spoke to them. We got the ticket. Persevered. There you go. Sorted. Well, good. I'm glad there was a, a happy ending to that one. I, I can't believe how lucky I feel at getting Revive. It was January 2023. The NHS told me about... Why don't you try Revive? I thought that was an NHS sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But they went, no, we don't deal with it. You'll need to just do a search online for yourself. Mm-hmm. Searched Revive and I found it was in this lovely area mm-hmm. um, in Govan. Yep. And they were so welcoming to me, Revive, and they've been so helpful. Um, the staff are so friendly. I can only say good things about Revive. If you ever look up on the website, they've been great for me. Um so definitely Revive MS is definitely two thumbs up for me. Yes, and I've, we have, I think we've all made great friends there. I, st- I was one of the first to do one of their exercise classes. I'm still doing it seven years later. Congratulations. And um, it's great because everyone thinks you sit and talk about MS. Mm-hmm. You don't. Mm-hmm. You might it might get mentioned at something if someone wants to know something. Yeah. In general, it's just a great because no one has to ask what, how you're feeling because you all know exactly, or at least has some idea anyway. Yeah. Oh well, I'm really glad that you guys have found sort of the confidence and the support that that you guys have you know sort of needed um, at, at points you know through revive to get out and do things is a great boost to your morale. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's um, there's too many people I think could wallow at home and not doing things. Yeah. And maybe we're a bit lucky in that we're the walking wounded. Maybe I don't know if that's a good expression. But maybe that's but it, you you feel good when you've mm-hmm. done something, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's probably about it for yeah. me. I'm I'm all about the mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes a big difference. Yeah, I'm a cup half full person. So I can tell know, that already from you, Brian. I can. You have to go with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing's perfect in life. Uh-huh. I get it. And I've certainly had enough sticks through it, you know, that mm-hmm. I've got this condition. Yeah. But please don't give up if you can do it. Nope. You know, it's there, there will always be support if you ask, if you're able to. There you go, guys. Top tips from Sheila and Brian. Thank you so much for joining us and spending some time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you. Sunny G Radio. Your station, your creation. Revive was set up in 1984 by people living with MS and their families and helps people manage the physical, emotional, social, and financial impacts that come with a diagnosis of MS. Anyone affected by MS can use Revive services and can be referred by a health or social care professional or self-referred. For more information, please visit revivemssupport.org.uk.